Billy Piper, Patrick Lacey, S.E. Howard, Waylon Jordan, and Jeremy Herbert. Five acclaimed authors of horror and dark fiction. Their twisted tales appeared in the acclaimed horror anthology Worst Laid Plans from Grindhouse Press. Now, their tales of vacation terror are coming to the big screen in a feature film adaptation from Genre Blast Films. Five acclaimed genre filmmakers will bring these stories to life. Samantha Koyesnik, John Hale, Vanessa Yonta Wright, Michael Escobedo, and Jeremy Herbert. Worst Laid Plans. Now crowdfunding on Indiegogo. This is one vacation you'll be dying to take. <laughs> Welcome to Dead Headspace, now a part of the Silver Shamrock Horrorcast, a podcast network that includes Killing Time with Silver Shamrock and also Unburying the Dead, where we exhume classic horror paperbacks for the new generation. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Ghana, and all other major platforms, which now includes YouTube. That's right, you can now watch your favorite episodes, including this one. Just search for Dead Headspace. I'm your host, Patrick R. McDonough, joined always by my co-host, Brennan LaFaro. Say hi, Brennan. Hello, everybody. And today is a different episode where we're having a, a, a returned guest host. Uh, well, actually, this would be his first time, wouldn't it? Returned guest, and now he's a guest host, Ken McKinley. Yeah, repeat, repeat offender here. Hello, everyone. <laughs> a little bit different today we're doing our first mailbag episode on top of that we are uh, making predictions for the 2020 bram stoker award pre- preliminary ballot you know what i think uh we're gonna jump into the first question and brennan's got that ready to go sure so the first uh question is from tim mcgregor um who will be on in a an episode pretty quick here um tim asks after talking to so many writers and publishers, what single piece of advice have you found the most helpful in your own work? So, uh, Pat, I think I know which one you're going to go for, but let's let's throw it to you first. I'm going to go straight off the bat with Joe R. Lansdale. Uh, he, said, he said a few things, and uh, he brought it up. I wanted to talk about it, and he brought it up on his own, where basically I see it from time to time. People talk about, like, it's specifically, you know, it's a touchy subject. I get it. But it's where white dudes shouldn't write in the point of view of people of color. And then now I'm seeing the argument where they're the main character. I'm a white dude. I'm a straight white dude. So I'm sure someone's going to have an issue with this. But Joe Arlandsdale, on top of Gabino Iglesias, on top of Cena Palau, on top of S.A. Cosby, who are all in that episode, said what I believe in. Write respectfully. Do your research. And that's it. We're writers. Just fucking write. And... 
I get the whole argument about why white dudes shouldn't write that stuff if they're disrespectful and very hateful about it, but that's not what I'm talking about. So that's the advice that Joe gave was um, basically uh, before that piece said that uh, fuck the reader I write for myself. So that's what I took away. It made me more confident in my standpoint where I say fuck whoever has a complaint about it. I'm going to be respectful. Someone's going to complain about it, get pissy. Eh, that's on them. So start out with a really strongly based opinion that it uh, might be might be polarizing, but fuck it. I don't care. <laughs> Ken, how about you? Um, well, just to kind of piggyback off of what Patrick said, I mean, I agree with him. And I agree with what Lansdale said. You know what? It's we we're white dudes. I mean, to try to have every character be white dudes all the time because that's the only thing that we know what to be. I mean, we're making stuff up as we go. Why not do your best at creating characters? I think that's part of the challenge. And like you said, as long as you're doing things respectfully, sometimes you you hit a home run, sometimes you you swing and miss. But as long as you make an attempt and you, you do the best you can, I mean, I don't see how anybody can fault you for that. And then on top of that, the, the best piece of advice I ever got for writing was to treat it like it's kind of like exercising. You know, the first time you exercise, it's going to hurt. It's, it's going to be difficult. And you may not want to get back at it. But just like exercise... If you continue to push through it, make yourself do it every single day, it gets easier. And that's writing. And a lot of people, they, they write in spurts or they don't, you know, some people give themselves goals and challenges where they do so many words a day. Um, find your comfort zone, even if it's just a little bit. Get some writing and stuff in there. Get it, get it so it becomes a daily habit. And once you create that habit, it becomes easier and easier. Next thing you know. These 500 words become 1,000 words, 1,000 words become more, and then you've got your story. So I think that's, you, you try to create yourself a schedule and, you know, do whatever works for you. You know, I'm jealous of the people that can get up at 5 in the morning and their creative brain is just working overtime and, you know, it's a nice quiet house and they can do that. I, yeah, 5 o'clock in the morning, my brain is molten barley in a fog. It's... It's it's not good. My creative juices are not present in the morning. So, um, but you know, find your niche and do it. <laughs> I hear you on the five a.m. thing. Um, so you know, go Patrick. Going back to your point, um, when we had Bob Pastorella on, he said something pretty similar to that, where it was. Um, so he he said he lives by two pieces of advice in that regard that seem at odds with each other, which is write fearlessly. But also be careful um, and be careful being, you know, do your research, be respectful. And even, you know, during that same conversation with Joe Lansdale, he he was talking about the book Paradise Sky about the Buffalo Soldiers and talking about the sheer amount of research that went into that. So, I mean, it's yeah, yeah he it certainly believes in that. And he justified himself with flying colors, uh, you know, unquestionably. Um, but. At the same time, he's also a proponent of do, doing the work, putting the work in, I suppose. Another, another piece of, uh, you know, going back to your exercise thing, Ken, 
Uh, one of my favorite pieces of advice comes from Laurel Hightower, and I don't know if she ever even said it on our show. It might have been on Inkheist or somewhere else, but uh, she said that you're a writer on days that you don't write. You know, we've all been in an exercise routine or a diet or something like that where we're doing well, we're doing every day, and then shit happens, life happens, and we fall out of it, you know, and rather than just say, I fucked up today and I'm going to get back to it tomorrow, you know, it, it's, it can be hard. You can fall right off that wagon. So I love having that routine. And at various points, I've, I've had that routine said, you know, I, I write it you know, nine o'clock after the kids go to bed. But, you know, then you have a day where you're exhausted. You can't make yourself get in that chair at nine or you, you know, have to take care of something for work that happens late at night. And it just, you know, you miss that one day and all of a sudden you're off track again. So I, I like that one, you know, um, certainly set your routine, but don't, don't break yourself open if you can't, you know, stick to it perfectly. Yeah. And I'll piggyback off of that as well. So just like exercising, I mean, just because you miss a couple of days of exercising doesn't mean you stop doing it. It means you get back on the wagon and off you go. Um, you're right. Don't beat yourself up for it. Don't look at it as defeat. It's just a pause. And just like when you pause something, you can restart it again. So the key is, is not to let too much time elapse where you get yourself completely out of the, the routine feel. Um, you know, get, but get back in the game. Don't stop. Yeah. Then last point, uh, Todd Keeslin kind of made you and I, Brennan, think of like something new where he said he takes the weekends off. I don't know if he still does that, but at one point he said, give yourself a break, take the weekends off. And um, I don't know, I kind of agree with him. It's okay. You know, it's okay to not do it every day. Well, That's and it. if you're planning to take the weekends off and you know you're going to be able to um... – put in the work on the weeknights, then that's, that's that exact schedule that we talked about. Yeah. And I think the other thing is, is there's no perfect way of doing it. So if it's, you do it nights throughout the week and then take the weekends off, you know, you, I mean, cause we've got families, we've got lives. It's, you know, to have, to have writing be your main source of income is rare. That's not something that 98% of the writers out there have. We have jobs. We have families. We do this. We write because we love it. We don't write to get rich. Yeah, it'd be great if we did, but <laughs> that doesn't happen very often. That's that's lightning in a bottle. So um, it's best to write because you love it, not because you're you're trying to strike it rich. No question. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna, unless you guys have anything to add, I'm going to add. Um, I'm going to move on to the next one. All right, so uh, this one comes from Erica Robin. Um, let's 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 keep this at one. But she asks, you know, what authors would you love to have on the show one day if you could choose anybody in the business? How many? So uh, how many Ken, choices? Uh, what's that? How many choices do we get? Uh, let's let's pick one each. And so well, I got to ask one more thing. Sorry to keep you interrupting. It's a did simple she, question. No, no. Did she specify <laughs> if it's a living or a deceased author? Good question. There is a follow-up. So for now, let's assume living. All right. Okay. All right. It, it's it's a no-brainer. Robert McCammon. 
I, I don't even need to elaborate. I mean, <laughs> if, if, if you haven't read any of Robert McCamlin's, you need to shut this podcast off and go read the damn books. You'll yep. see why. The guy's amazing. Yep. All right. I, I'm going to jump in and steal Stephen King. Uh, Pat, I, you know, maybe that's who you're going for. Maybe it's yeah. not. But, um, you know, I, I, I've read everything the man has put out. I will continue to do so until the day one of us dies. Um, and <laughs> hopefully not you first. No offense. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. Um, but, but, you know, also I'd like to keep him around for a good long while. If he's still going to kick out a couple books a year. Um, you know, I I've revisited the dark tower series three ish times. Now I just, wow. he, he's, he's the greatest living storyteller we have. And, you know, he, having him on the show, I think would be the pinnacle achievement. I really can't, you know, what, what makes him the answer for me is if we did have him, I don't know who's after that. I don't know who my goal is after that. That's it. That's the top of the mountain. I mean, listen, as much as I love Robert McCammon and you know, there's, there's reasons for that, but the whole deal is everybody's gateway drug is typically Stephen King to get in there. I mean, he's the reason people are reading horror. So mine was R.L. Stein, but that's when I was a kid as an adult. Cause I stopped reading in high school. I've talked about this. Said you could pick one. No, 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 no. That's not my, R.L. Stein is not my answer. But for getting me back into horror, it was Stephen King. But to be fair also, in 1990, the adaptation of it, I only saw like one scene and scared the living fuck out of me forever. I still don't like clowns all that much. They're creepy and it's because of that movie. So Pennywise is Stephen King's creation. Uh, my answer, since it's not Stephen King and I guess we only get... This is your third. <laughs> My answer would be Clive Barker. I love the man's writing. I love the man's uh, films that he writes. Uh, I think it's fair to say he's the UK version of Stephen King. Um, except I don't think he's as well known to the general public as Stephen King is. Uh, Stephen King's in his own category. But for writers like Clive Barker, you can make a case that he's on the Mount Rushmore of writers in this genre. Um, he, he is. And I think the only thing that's the downside of Clive Barker is the fact that he didn't, did not keep writing horror. He went more fantasy mm. throughout the, the mid to late nineties and up till today. It's, but his, his work before that is groundbreaking. I mean, he's, he's, in my opinion, he's a, one of the originators of Splatterpunk. Oh, yeah. No, no doubt. Um, and on top of this, you know, you got the Hellbound Heart. I love that story. It is just, you want to feel characterization, feel how a, how a fictional character feels. Like, read that read that story. It's not too long. It's the basis for Hell's, uh, the series Hellraiser. Um, and then one of his short stories, I'm lacking on the title right now, but one of his short stories was Inspiration for Candyman. Those are two of the creepiest uh, on-screen boogeymen that, to me, are like the standouts of... Freddy's scary in the first one, but after that, it's just kind of silly. Jason's a big goofball. Leatherface is kind of a hillbilly. He's got the Jason. That's my boy. <laughs> I like Jason, too, but I don't know. I'd shit my pants if he was chasing me. But if I'm if I'm like comparing one boogeyman to another, it's like Hellraiser and Candyman are at the top of that list. And or, you know, I don't think or I, I don't 
<laughs> I don't think you can discount um, what a contribution in the hills in the cities is to short story, short fiction. I mean, that's to me, that's it, it's like the ultimate short story. It just has everything. It's a fan favorite for sure. Um, so yeah, the books of blood. I mean, like you, that's what I strive to do for whenever I put out my short story collection, and that is not planned for any time soon, but. I mean, come on, like, if you want to aim for the best, like, that's one of the best short story collections ever in, in the yeah, genre. I agree. So I'd have Clive Barker if I could. I don't know how the hell that would happen. Him, Stephen King, Robert McCammon. Hey, you know what? All three of them want to do a round table. Come on down. Yeah. <laughs> like, just keep tagging them on Twitter. Oh I mean, God, it's it, so far. It, if you had a round table of that, dude, I'm telling you what. <laughs> I'll, I just quit after that. I'm like, yeah, I'm done. If, you're done. You're done. <laughs> All right, so follow up. Same question, but an author who is no longer with us. Now, I have a feeling that, you know, I, I know exactly who Pat's thinking of. Um, so do you want to just go first and take that oh, answer? Crap. Hands down. Oh, love okay, crap. not who I was thinking, but okay. Who are you thinking? Edgar Allan Poe? No. Catch him. Oh, damn it. Oh, fuck. Hold up. Oh, no. This is hard. Yeah, I go with catch him over Lovecraft if I have to choose. You really want to talk to Lovecraft? <laughs> <laughs> I'll go back to what uh, Brian Keane said in because he wrote so Lovecraft wrote so many letters that um, it's like in the thousands and they're not short. Uh, I guess later in his life, towards the end of his life, he was kind of turned around from being a, a, a racist xenophobe. Um, still not cool what he did. And how he uh, kind of, you know, was super racist in his stories. There's no argument there. So I'm stealing this answer from Brian Keene's answer, but I fully agree with I would want to talk to the older Lovecraft. And I, I mean, if he lived longer, maybe he'd become a, you know, a decent guy. But I'm going to go catch him. <laughs> Just one point on. I'm going to let you go. Brennan, I'm still thinking. Okay, so you know, I, I, I first of all, I assumed that uh, that Patrick would uh, nail down catch him. I might have, I might have held my tongue if I uh, realized that he that escaped him. But um, I, I'm actually, I'm gonna leave horror. Honestly, if I could get any uh, author on who uh, is no longer with us, I'm gonna get Kurt Vonnegut on. Um, big in, you know, I, I I've read everything he's written. Um, I like to arrogantly think that, um, when I write, I get a little bit of his, I, I try to work a little bit of his snarky style into my, uh, writing. Um, and you know, I just, I, I think he's, he just seems like a, he was a very down to earth, interesting man. Um, and it seems like at some point during an interview, he'd probably ask you to pull his finger. <laughs> All right, Ken. <laughs> All I right. stalled as long I, as I could, man. You <laughs> stalled as long as I could, and I, I've been going back and forth on once, but I think I'm going to settle on Robert Block simply because he was the bridge. He was the bridge between Lovecraft and the era of Stephen King. He, you know, obviously he wrote for Twilight Zone. He wrote for so many different things. He, you know, weird tales and all this stuff, and then obviously, you know, he wrote Psycho, which was such a groundbreaking um, story for everybody. Um, yeah, I, I think that I would want to know 
he, to me, he'd be like one of the best ones to be able to speak with because it's the, the roots of horror that he was a part of. And then the transition from that to, you know, what we see more as modern horror. I, I think he would have a hell of a lot to say. Yeah, that's a good call. Just thinking back to our discussion on uh, Robert Block during the uh, Psycho episode of Unburying the Dead. Um, a lot of the stuff we touched on there would be interesting to kind of pick his brain on, especially some of the occult type stuff and the um, labels, let's say, that were that 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 get thrown around in those you know penultimate chapters uh, and how they adhere to the 1950s. A lot, lot of cool stuff to talk about with him, definitely. I have someone else that I would put before Lovecraft. Two other guys. Is that that's a fourth answer? Fourth. I don't know. I lost count. It's not one, that's for sure. I don't give a shit. One more that I think you both would agree with, Richard Matheson. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Him, or, him or Bradbury. I mean, come on. Bradbury slipped my mind. That's a good one. Yeah, that one slipped mine, too. Or you got, what about Shirley Jackson? That'd be a good one, too. That was one that I would, that's probably a second for me. I was, because I would love to know what it was like to be a female horror author in the era that she wrote. I mean, she was a maverick. Yeah. You know, I, I, I'd want to know what that was like. That's, you know, groundbreaking. For the most interesting person, though, I think not who I'd, you know, someone who I also would want to talk to is Mary Shelley. Like, her her life alone was, it's super depressing, but I'd, I'd be interested to hear anything she would have to say. So, those are my yeah. answers. <laughs> All right, so... um. Erica sent us four questions. I'm going to pass over one because it's really similar to the first one we answered uh, from Tim. But the uh, last one she sent us, she, she said, we can take this in any direction we like. Podcast, writing, personal goals, whatever. What would you like to accomplish in 2021? How about Ken goes first? What I'd like to accomplish in 2021 um, obviously coming from the publishing side, I would like to springboard off of the successes we had in 2020 and just go for broke for 2021. Um, I'm really pleased with the lineup that I've got so far, and I've got a few surprises coming down the pike that, you know, I can't announce quite yet, but just to continue doing this and, and to keep meeting and discovering all of these wonderful authors. It's just, it, it blows my mind. Every time I turn around, I'm pulling out a manuscript out of my inbox from someone that I've, I don't know about. Maybe I didn't, you know, I don't have my pulse on that one yet. And I'll start reading through it. I think, man, I gotta have this person. And that's like one of the greatest feelings in the world. I love that. So to keep on keeping on, I guess is the answer. <laughs> Oh, you, Brennan. Um, so as far I'm gonna I'm gonna mostly keep it to writing. If I go podcasting, I love what we're doing, man. I really <laughs> do. And I and, and and I and my my goal is also to keep on keep it on as far as that's concerned. Um, as far as writing is concerned, I just uh, finished up the second draft of my second novella. So what I would like to do is try and figure out how to write something that's not between 100 and 150 pages. Um, 
mo- most of most of that, and I think we're going to touch on this in our next question, actually. But most of that is I like quick pacing. I I don't like writing things. I don't like writing the boring parts. Um, I truly feel like my first book, which is uh, around thirty five thousand words, probably could have been three hundred pages if I wrote the boring parts. Um, but I want I want to really try my hand at writing a novel. And on the flip side, I want to write a lot more short stories. I want to figure that out too. That's that's a nut I need. I feel like I need to crack. You know, I've got I've got one length that seems to work for me. <laughs> um, so I want to expand. Patrick, how about you, man? Uh, for Slatery Falls, I actually um, that was a it's comment a, I made. What? It's a soft day. Ah, slap. Slatery Falls. Mm-hmm. Oh. Okay, well, Two you is how the English language works there. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, don't pick on the uh, dumb kid. Um, so <laughs> I was just gonna say one of the comments I made when I beta read it was that uh, you, I like this because you don't have any fat in here. Um, well, podcasting, I we're gonna be doing exactly. I already know what we're gonna be doing. We already got pretty much the whole year lined up, and uh, uh. I'm happy. What I would like to get done that I'm not sure if it will, because it's not entirely up to me, is get my first debut novel out, uh, at least sold. Um, again, I don't know if that'll happen. Don't know how long it takes to get published, but uh, that's that's my goal. I've been I've ran over ten books, uh, one with you, Brennan, or three, depending on how it gets broken up, and. Uh, <laughs> I gotta start editing a novel if I want to get it sold because I've never done that. It sounds crazy. You do have to edit them, yes. Yeah, no, I gotta edit them. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my answer. I'm trying to get, uh, and that'll probably help get it sold. Yeah, no, what's the first draft? That's yeah. garbage. We may have found the problem. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. So that's it. Try to get a uh, novel sold. Absolutely. So Not, you before, know, before you move to the next one, I got a question for you. Sure. So you were talking about how 35,000 words seems to be your sweet spot. What about reading? Do you like longer stories? Are you opposed to longer stories? You know what? That's a good question to throw around to everybody, I think, because it's it's so I feel like it's changed, honestly. You know, when I um, back in my King heyday where that was my primary reading, I loved picking up a 600 page book. I felt like, you know. I paid seven bucks for this paperback and it's, you know, uh, I'm going to get my money's worth out of it. And, you know, and, and the story's good and it's going to keep me engaged for all those 700 pages. I do love a doorstopper, but um, with the way I take in media now with the, you know, when we're reading something, when I'm trying to, you know, help somebody out getting a review up by the time their book comes out or by the time they come on the podcast, I do like that, you know, 150 page mark. Um, and even most of the novels I read now, I, I can't remember the last, you know, Fear, I think that we're going to take on is going to be the first novel that's over 300 pages I've read in quite some time. Uh, yeah, Pat, seems... and Pat likes, Pat likes short stories, so. <laughs> Pop-up books. Um, the... I, you know, I, I like that 200 to 300 page range. I do. I feel like you, you know, and especially for horror, because it's, it can be, if you don't know what you're doing, it can be easy to be long winded and to lose the reader. What about you guys? What's your, uh, what's your reading sweet spot? 
My reading sweet spots probably around 300 pages well, but I will confess that if I look back through history, my absolute all-time, like if I gave a top 10 of my top 10 horror of the ever, probably three quarters of them are 500 page plus. And that's because when an author does a doorstopper right, there's nothing like it. It's yeah. magical. It, you, when you're burning through it and you don't want it to end, and it's pushing 800 pages, I mean, that's something magical. So those are my absolute favorites, but I, I'm kind of with you. I've, I've found that I can only do one or two of those a year now. I can't make them back to back to back to back like I used to. Um, and I think a lot of it's because, you know, I always feel guilty for sticking on one when I've got three billion others to read. I think that's the problem. And before it used to be you'd buy one book at the bookstore and you savored it until it was done. And when you're done with that one, then you went and got another one. Well, now that we review and I publish and all that, we've got all these books lined up down the street. So it's... <laughs> No matter, it's you're you enjoy it, but it's different. It's you've always you you're always in the back of your mind. You know, there's a deadline I got to meet. There's a deadline I got to meet, and I think that takes a little bit of the enjoyment out of it. No matter how good the book is, it's true. It's 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 fun, but you know, you're you're thinking back like, um, you know, I wanted to have fun, but I needed a little stress in my fun. <laughs> Patrick, how about you? What's you? What do you like to read? So when I first got into Stephen King, which I didn't get into until my uh, early twenties, um, I started out. I started out with a few of his collections, and for novels, I think the first one was um, it was either it was it, it was it, and then that was quickly followed up by the stand, the unedited version. Oh, nice light reading you did, huh? <laughs> <laughs> so. I got into this habit of reading big books. I liked it as before I reviewed books. I'd just post shit on uh, Instagram. No one followed me for that. But I did it to remember is before joining Goodreads. It was to just remember which books I read in case I started stacking up the books. I wouldn't be able to remember all of them, I don't think. So I kind of wanted to look back, see what I thought. But now that I review, like when we had Deadhead Reviews and I was taking over that and I had people like, reading this book, I was reading that book, and we were trying to promote, like, when we had Todd Keeslin's uh, Devil's Creek Week. Um, that's a big motherfucker. So, it's a great book. Um, loved it. Thought it, you know, I think it deserves a Stoker Award this year. Um, not saying that because it's Ken's book. I fucking loved it. Aww. But, um... <laughs> it's hard. It's hard to read more than maybe two of those a year. Uh... Simply for the fact that we have four guests on minimum, and it's never four. It's either five or six or seven a month. Uh, I don't have time to enjoy reading, uh, casually read. I got a bookshelf full of history books that I wish I could read and biographies, but that's uh, going to have to wait until I retire, I guess. <laughs> Listen to us. We all three are sitting here bitching about all the books we have to read. Uh, you know, There's it's a good first world problems. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's really a first world problem. It's it's a good thing to you know, it's a yeah. good problem. So uh, my answer, because I didn't really give one, was um, 
right now, my sweet spot too is two fifty to three hundred words. I like that. And if it's it not, per month, <laughs> no, per book. <laughs> if it's a if it's a book that connects with me, like the girl next door, um, I don't care how it makes me sound. I love that book, but I can I can tear through it. Even if it's not a book that connects to me on that level. Hey, that still... book, you loving that book makes you sound like you know good writing. Listen, I it's horrific subject matter, but guess what we do? We're in horror. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to apologize for that. It's not the listen, we we read and watch movies. We read books, we watch movies about people getting killed every day. Are we killers? No, it doesn't make us killers. It doesn't make us loving to you know, watching people die, it means we love horror, plain and simple. And yeah. I think that's a problem we have right now is too many people, they 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 take the fact that if you can write about this, or you, okay, I'll give you a for instance. Oh, you wrote about someone killing a cat. You must hate cats. No, guess what? The cat didn't fucking really die. It's a story. <laughs> you know, I just wrote about it because you know what? A person losing a cat is a horrific thing. Yeah. You know, everybody remembers losing a pet. It's horrific. So I don't apologize for stuff like that. We write and read horror. I've noticed, and I don't know if this is recent since I became a dad or not, but like I write about pregnant women a lot, and I write about like fathers losing their their kids and like Super horrific ways. Like, Ken, you read one recently of mine where the kid got run over, and there's very graphic imagery, and it's not fun. I got I got all, like, super sad and kind of fucked with me a lot, but that that's my worst fear. So, hey, that's one of their... the most powerful scenes in horror fiction is when Gage gets knocked out of his little Nikes in Pet Cemetery. Yeah. I mean, that one gut-wrenched me. And I was in high school. I didn't have kids. I was still a kid myself, but that yeah. one gut-wrenched me. So, yeah, that's powerful stuff. That's yeah. one of those. You can reread that, and you still, you know, even on your second run-through, you think that the dad's going to get to him in time. <laughs> the same frogger, Brennan. <laughs> What's that? I don't know. It didn't make any sense. It said the same oh. frogger. <laughs> oh, okay. Good one. Good work. <laughs> <laughs> you know the other thing I was gonna say. You, you know, you mentioned the uh, if we kill a if, if somebody kills a cat in their work, uh, it doesn't mean that they are a uh, an animal serial killer. I'm uh, Todd Keesling. I think mentioned that in one of his early books, he killed a cat and he got like legitimate hate mail for it. Thing is that Todd is a cat guy too. <laughs> he loves cats. No, he's a huge cat guy, and that's. And that's the thing. I'm telling you what, it's, I have never seen more people that need trigger warnings for cats. And I just sit there and I just shake my head. I'm like, are we in the right genre? Are we supposed to be in YA? Because I thought I was in horror. And I get, you don't want anything bad to happen to a cat, but come on people. It isn't real. It's a story. It's the fluffy doesn't get smoked. Come on. I don't get it. I think everyone has nice cats. Cause I fucking don't like my cat. My cat's a bitch. I'm not gonna go into why. She's just a bitch. We treat her great. She's still a bitch. That's a cat, dude. That's what they do. I love my dog and my pig's kind of a bitch, but I love her. I love her a whole lot. <laughs> if anyone wants a cat, I'm giving it away. Hit me up. 
DM me. <laughs> Jump in my DMs. <laughs> no, slide in my DMs, right? That's what the kids say. Is that what the kids say? I don't Dude, know, I'm man. the oldest one, one here. You're asking me? <laughs> Patrick, you're the kid, man. <laughs> oh, damn it. I am. I'm the youngest. I don't know. I guess that's what they say now, motherfuckers. What's the next question, Brennan? Oh, boy. All right. Next question comes from uh, Steve Clark. It says, based on your own experiences as well as all the discussions you've had with authors, do you have any advice to a writer trying to make the jump from short stories to novella and novel-length work? So, uh, I don't, <laughs> because I, I went like the opposite can't there. That. Can't you definitely yep. take that one? I should take that one? Okay. Um, and I've had actually this specific discussion with a handful of authors that the only thing they've written has been short stories. And I think for a select group of people, short stories is their gateway into writing fiction. For some, it's easier to just do a nice four to six thousand word story, short and sweet, boom, boom. It's kind of like it's almost like a scene in a movie. Typically, um, a lot of short stories, it's just kind of like just a taste. And for to make that jump into novellas, now you gotta you gotta build a little bit more. And it's I don't know if I have I don't know if I have a specific formula to do it. I think it's just you have to flesh out scenes. So instead of just doing this crazy, fast-paced, gut-wrenching scene, now you got to create what caused that scene and then expand upon it, make it interesting, give me some character development. You know, this is where you, you breathe life into these characters and the scenes. You know, instead of just kind of painting a picture, now I want to feel the picture. I want to smell the trees. I want to smell the flowers. I want to hear the wind through the, the leaves. I want to hear the dog barking in the background. Um, you know, I want to I want to feel the gravel crunch under my feet. Set it up for the reader. Let them experience what it's like instead of just something fast and furious. Um, make those characters more than two-dimensional cardboard cutouts. Breathe life into them. Make me care about them. If you're going to off somebody, then I had to make it impactful. I have to give a shit. You can't just introduce someone one page prior and then off them and then expect it to have some sort of impact. It's not going to be. It's going to be cannon fodder. So it's breathe life into your scenes, and you'll find that you're gonna. It won't be that hard to get into that. Now, as far as like the door stoppers and stuff like that, that's a craft. Um, to do that right, that's. There's a lot of trial and error, and a lot of times what you, it's called a good editor. You'll write, and 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 then you'll submit it. And then the editor will go, yep, slash out about 40,000 words here. And they're going to kill your darlings. So you're going to have to get uh, a stiff upper lip, swallow your pride, um, and lift, and make sure you got yourself a good editor. And listen to them. They aren't going to be your friends. They aren't going to be your family and tell you exactly what you want to hear and how great you are. They're going. A good editor will give you the hard, cold truth on what you need to make an average story a good story and a good story a great story. Hmm. All right, so hold on. I'm going to throw out some advice that 
does not come from me. Uh, I I would I can't follow this. I have tried. Um, it's like taking cod liver oil for me. But um, if the issue jumping from short stories to novella length or novel length work is the intimidation factor, the fact that it's not quite so self-contained and it's easy to sprawl and lose control. Um, you know, I've heard a lot of authors say stuff like this on the show and on other shows, but uh, Alan Baxter springs to mind. He says, you know, your first draft is you're just telling yourself the story. And I would mix that with other authors saying, allow your first draft to be not that good. Now, like I said, I, I tend to edit as I go. I can't just, I, I have tried just a running a first draft and it just, I hate it. I can't stand it, but Brennan, there are a lot of Brennan, people it works for. Mm-hmm. Brennan, what's the first rule of thumb? Get it on the page. Yep, exactly. So that's the advice that I don't follow, even though you just told me to. Um, but... Brennan, get it on the page. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like the dumb kid's Brennan. <laughs> so based on my All right, well, okay. you haven't talked yet, so go ahead. I started writing with the – I've write, written my whole life, but not until the year I met my wife because of her started getting in my head like I want to be a novelist. And 2013, that's when it was, and I just went for it. I wrote a few short stories. They are garbage. No one's ever going to see them. I wrote a novel. It was an 80,000-word novel. Haven't touched it since. I remember the whole thing. But after that, I wrote another one. Long story short, when 2021, I'm – on my uh, 10th, 11th, or 12th novel. I don't know. I, I lost count. I've written probably, if not a million words, close to it at this point. Um, haven't calculated it all, but just a guess. So I'm bringing all that up because I wrote a lot of novels, short stories, novellas, flash fiction, and I've, I just figured out what worked for me, and you got to find your writing voice. And the only way you're going to do that is if you do it. You're not going to like your first draft. I don't give a fuck about my first draft. And some good advice I got from my guy I consider my mentor is Mark Cassell. He uh, said, your end doesn't matter in the first draft. I agree with it. You might not. Um, Ken just shook his head that he doesn't care for the ending in the first draft either. Because you'll find it. Things will change. Uh, if you stew on the first draft you're probably not going to get to the second one all that quick. And by that specifically, what I mean is don't go back and correct anything. Um, Of course, if this doesn't work for you, don't do it. It doesn't work for everyone. But for me, that's, that's how I, that's how I figured out. Okay. I, I I can go from short stories to novels. I I did the transition pretty quick, but I I just said, fuck it. I'm just going to do it. So again, not for everyone, but hopefully that helps someone. Okay. So um, that's pretty much the last question. We also got an email from Michael Clark, uh, two-time guest and frequent listener. But Michael didn't really ask any questions. He just made a bunch of suggestions for how we could uh, make the podcast better. Michael, it's already pretty good. I don't know if you realize that. But uh, (laughs) I go down your your list and... um, We've covered some of these. Uh, he says that we should continue interviewing small presses like Silver Shamrock. So, I mean, check on the, that one here. Um, he said we should do an episode on the Stokers. Bingo. Check. Um, 
He said that we should um, have Hunter Shea on. We've had Hunter Shea on. Uh, that we should have Glenn Rolfe. We'll have him on later this year. And he lists some other people that he thinks that we should have. But no questions. Again, Michael, the uh, title of the email was Mailbag Questions. Those are not questions. Mike, uh, next time, listen to the directions, my <laughs> friend. We still love you, but what the fuck? <laughs> Guess he's the dumb kid now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're going to move on to Bram Stoker Award preliminary prelim. I can't say that we're preliminary ballot predictions, but before we do that, Ken uh, has a few things to say pertaining to that and what he has to say about it. All right, so obviously I've got a, a dog in the race here for um, Stokers. So what I'm going to do is obviously Silver Shamrock would love to see our guys win. You know, our our writers win. Um, but there are some wonderful, wonderful writers in there. The competition's fierce. So where I'm going to jump in is I'm going to jump in on everybody that's non-Silver Shamrock to make it so it's non-biased. And I, I would throw out there, uh, Patrick and not voting members of the HWA. Uh, we are, you know, you said, uh, I think you said predictions. Eh, it's who I'd vote for, I suppose. Um, just for fun, just for kicks. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, take it for two, three guys have an opinion, and it's just that. We don't know. We we don't know who's going to win anything. We don't, have any just have... we don't have any pull in this. We have no inside information. Yeah, so anyone that has a problem with this, don't fucking talk about it to us. We don't care. <laughs> <laughs> so... Just gotta be honest. I don't care. We're just doing this for fun, and anyone that wants to listen to it. So the first be- um, category is superior achievement in a novel. Uh, I'll just list them all, and uh, yeah, well, I guess that's all. I'll do it. So the first one is uh, Andy Davidson's The Boatman's Daughter. Um, you guys think I should list off the publishers too? I'm asking the publisher. I'm gonna list off the publishers. <laughs> Absolutely. And that is through MCD. And is this? XFSG Originals. I don't know if I'm saying that correct. Not sure. All right. The next one is Rex Hearst, What Hell May Come by Crystal Lake Publishing, followed by Stephen Graham Jones's The Only Good Indians by Gallery slash Saga Press, followed by Ama Katsu's The Deep by G.P. Putnam's Sons. Then we have Todd Kiesling's Devil's Creek by Silver Shamrock Publishing, followed by Scott... Kenamora, Kenamore. I uh, apologize if I did not say that correctly. Uh, Lake of Darkness by ta- uh, publisher is Talos. Then we have Josh Mallerman's Mallory by Del Rey. Followed by Sylvia Marino Garcia's Mexican Gothic, again by Del Rey. Followed by Jeffrey Thomas's The American through Journal Stone. Last but not least, Christopher Triani. Tri- How do you say that? Triana? Mm-hmm. Okay, gone to see the River Man by Cemetery Dance Publications. Um, here's the thing, guys. I haven't read the majority of that, so I have a pretty narrow window with this. But again, it's for fun. Don't tell me I'm an idiot for this and that. I got two guys that I'm talking to right now that can tell me that. Okay, you're an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> Who wants to go first? Hit it, bro. I'll run down. 
Yeah, so um, I, I actually, I'll, I'll be honest with you, man. Uh, there are a fair few titles on this list that I don't know, and there are a couple more that I would have liked to have read in the last year, but uh, like we said, limited time. Um, I would have liked to have read The Boatman's Daughter. That that one same. sounded really good. Yeah. Um, and same thing with The Deep, and I've got uh, Silvia Moreno-Garcia's Mexican Gothic sitting on the shelf over there. I would love to make time for that. Um, as it stands, I read uh, Devil's Creek, I read The Only Good Indians, and I read uh, Mallory. And I, I enjoyed Mallory, um, but I didn't enjoy it on the same level as Bird Box. Bird Box was a masterclass in tension building. I can't Excellent. think, I can't even compare another book to the way he did it in that. And to Mallory's credit, he didn't write, you know just a he didn't just rewrite bird box with mallory he did something different it just didn't hit me the same um so you know i i would have to go with devil's creek and and you could you could expand this list twice and i think i'd probably pick it again so how about uh, you ken yeah so non-silver shamrock that i really enjoyed on that list is going to be elma katsu's mm -hmm. the deep she's a wonderful writer um, I don't think she gets enough credit. I really don't. I know she's she's gotten a nice little publishing deal and stuff, and she's getting bigger. But I I want to see her name out there more. Um, I really really enjoy her writing style. She's with with the deep. I mean, you you literally felt it. It it was one of those ones that like grabbed your bones. It was good stuff. Uh, you know what? I, I read Devil's Creek. I loved it. I just said that already. Um, I'm in the middle of Stephen Graham Jones's The Only Good Indians. On that list, that's the only ones I've read. I want to read quite a few more. The ones that Brian listed, absolutely Mexican Gothic, seems very appealing. Uh, and Gun See the Riverman was on my list too, as well as The Boatman's Daughter. Those are the ones that stick out to me. Oh, and actually, Amokatsu's The Hunger in the Deep too, but... um. Limited time. So I'm going to go with Devil's Creek of the two books. That's the one that hits me more, connects me uh, on a strong level. Um, you just got a quiet horror that kind of blows up. And uh, I don't know. I'm more into that. So, yeah. yeah, I'm going with Devil's Creek. I'll tell you what, man. I'll, I'll hit the next one. Um, okay. So superior achievement in a first novel. And I'm going to just do a blanket apology for mispronouncing people's names. Uh, so we've got C.S. Elaine's Bellevue from Crystal Lake, John Fram's The Brightlands from Hanover Square Press, Polly Hall's The Taxidermist Lover from Camcat Publishing, Rachel Harris' The Return from Berkeley, Ross Jeffrey, Tome, The Writing Collective, uh, Evie Knight's The Fourth Whore, Raw Dog Screaming, K.P. Kolsky, Fairest Fresh from, yeah, Fairest, gonna mess that up again, Fairest Flesh from Rooster Republic Press. Matthew Lyons, The Night Will Find Us from Key Light Books. Uh, Maurice Major. Oh, I don't think I'm even close on that one. I apologize. The Seventh Mansion, FSG Originals. And Kate Reed Petty, True Story from Viking. Uh, and I'll tell you guys right off the bat, I have read exactly one book on this list. Uh, it was a good one, though. <laughs> uh, the Did Fourth Horror by Evie Knight. That's, the one, um, from, that's the one I've read. Oh, you got that one too? Yeah. Yeah. I have the uh, K.P. Kolsky book that I mispronounced seven times. 
Um, I'd like to get to that. I hear really good things about Tome from uh, Ross Jeffrey, and it seems like a, it seems a little weird to uh, choose my favorite when I only read one, but by default, yeah, that's where I'm going. That's she's got mine. <laughs> Pat, you... No, man, I haven't read any of them, so I'm gonna go with the one based on purely based on, um, I guess, reputation. And I gotta say, it's probably Evie Knight. I've heard only good things about that, and it was a strong. You know, I read reviews on that when it came out. It's it's pretty strong uh, content, so I'm just gonna go with Evie Knight. Yeah, I think you'd like it, honestly. Yeah, it sounded really good. Uh, I don't remember what other books I was reading when that came out, but yeah. All right, so we got uh, a few others. Some are not going to read, obviously, like the, uh, or maybe it's not obvious, young adult novels. Like, I, I don't typically read that stuff. I don't think you guys do either. And uh, I don't. Yeah. Well, I will, I will tell you, we got. Um... Uh, well, we're, let's let's agree to skip over graphic novels. Anybody read a graphic novel this year? I read one last year. <laughs> Was it on the list? <laughs> um, but with with uh, with young adult, uh, I did read Adam Caesar's Clown in a Cornfield. Oh, um, I forgot about that one. And Daniel Krause's Bent Heavens, which I did not realize until I saw this list, was even YA. Hmm. Uh, the other ones are unfamiliar, but hey, I know I, I read more of these, or no, I guess I read the same as I did for Adam's, first Adam's already got my vote just because I love his regular horror. I haven't read Clowns in the the Cornfield, but it's on my shelf. But he's a, fa- like, he's a fantastic writer, so he's got my vote by default. I, I like Adam's other, other books. I, I, I loved Clown in a Cornfield. That was, you know... There's, there's a reason that's the one that's, you know, getting its target roots versus uh, some of the some of the other ones he's written. That's, kudos well-earned on that one. Quite clever, to, quite clever to get it into the YA category. Mm. Well, and, and when you read it, you're going to you're going to see it's, it, you know, it, it doesn't meet the um, the the typical parameters of what you'd expect YA. There's plenty of cursing. There's plenty of blood. It's it's strictly that the protagonist is like six, 15, 16, somewhere around there. Yeah, but so is it. Yeah, no, it's a, well half of it. <laughs> I don't well, know. You, it's, it's right. a slippery. Now you're now you're just you're just uh, grasping straws here. You know what I'm talking about. There's plenty oh, of I know what you're there's plenty about. of we're reading fear right now for God's sakes. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I, I will tell you, I, I got, but that, but every, everywhere I've looked, it's been listed under YA. I'm I'm still trying to figure out how it got in there. You got to get Adam on here on the show to find out how he did that because that's pretty clever. It is, it is. But like you know, I, I I've heard lots of opinions on what makes YA YA, and the only thing people can seem to agree on is uh, young adult protagonist, um, young adult main characters, but uh. Yeah, I, I, I don't know, because like I said, he certainly doesn't hold back in that book. All right, um, let's see. Let's go with Superior Achievement in Long Fiction. Pat, you want to read that one or you want me to do it? I can do that. So, Superior Achievement in Long Fiction. We start with, uh, where did they switch them? Oh, J. Ashley Smith, that threw me off. 
The Attic Tragedy through Meerkat Press, followed by Dave E. Collins. Proof of Death and Other Facts through... That's a very long name. <laughs> Sotera Press. I was reading the other thing in parentheses. Horror USA, Texas, and Anthology. Okay, so that's the book it was in. Doesn't do that with all of them. Interesting. Uh, Tom Deedee's Coleridge, again through Silver Shamrock Publishing. Uh, Gabino Iglesias' Beyond the Reef, that is through Wicked Run Press. Stephen Graham Jones's Night on the uh, Night of the Mannequins through Tor.com. Gwendolyn Kais, The Invention of Ghosts through Nightscape Press. Jess Landry's I Will Find You Even in the Dark through Dim Shores. S.P. Miskowski's The Best of Both Worlds through Trepidatio Publishing. Jason Parent's Eight Cylinders through Crystal Lake Publishing. Followed by Sarah Pinksker. Two Truths and a Lie through Tor.com. Two more. Steve Streds, The Window in the Ground. The Wreathing Collective. Followed by A.C. Wise's uh, Exhalation number 10. That is through Bloomhouse Books. So, I'm going to go with the same thing. I, I guess I'm not reading the right books because I haven't read any of these. <laughs> this is, uh, you know, this is the fancy word for novella, too. So, this is the this is the place where you would have hit. Yeah. Yeah, you would have think. <laughs> I, I guess my books didn't make it, man. Yeah. <laughs> Your horses didn't make the end of the race. <laughs> I guess not. But based on what you said, I'm going to go with Gabino Glacies is beyond the reef because that sounded up my alley. So, I'll go with that one. Yeah, I'll go with that one because I actually read it. Um, <laughs> it, it, it. It's it's really freaking good. It's it's Lovecraftian horror. Um, the uh, uh, based on Insmith, but with you know, like as like the title says, with kind of in a um, the element of addiction in there as well in the main character. It it was a really cool story. I also really liked Stephen Graham Jones' uh, Night of the Mannequins. Um, I wasn't surprised to see that show up in there. Uh, frankly, I, I, I actually liked that better than the only good Indians, although I may be the only person in the entire horror genre who thinks that way. And I'm going to go in a little bit different direction. So obviously, you know, we got a horse in the race on this one and the one on out of that list that I, I haven't read a bunch of them, but the one I really enjoyed on that was Jason Parent's eight cylinders. Mm. That is balls to the wall, Lovecraftian, with like gangster chase scene. I, I I don't know how to explain it. It's without giving too much away. It's he's he's another one. Is a really really good writer, and you know I I don't I hear his name come up, but I don't hear it come up enough. It's one of those ones that he needs to be in a, a higher echelon than what he's at right now. He's he's a fabulous writer. He really is. He's a local guy too. He's uh, I don't know where he is in Island, but he's in Rhode Island, so he's twenty minutes away from me. Yeah, small state. So, uh, what's the next one we got? Superior achievement in short fiction. Would you like to read that, Brennan or uh, Ken? Oh, I'll take that. Um, I don't know if Ken has the list up in front of him, but <laughs> Ken doesn't have the list in front of him, so go ahead. All right. Uh, so Megan R. Curie, am I missing from Border Seven? 
Uh, R.A. Busby, Street Street View, Collective Realms Magazine, issue number two, Lazy uh, Paolo DiRazio, KDP Amazon, Kurt Favre, Introduction to the Horror Story, Day One, Nightmare Magazine, Jill Girardi, The Ecstasy of Golds, 25 Gates of Hell, a horror anthology, Jill Girardi, The Wet Dream, The Places We Fear to Tread, Cemetery Gates Media, Larry Hinkle, The Space Between from Deep Magic. Uh, Josh Mallerman, One Last Transformation, mix, Miscreations, Gods, Monstrosities, and Other Horrors. Lucy McKnight Hardy, The Birds of Nagasaki from Swan River Press. Cindy O'Quinn, The Thing I Found Along a Dirt Patch Road, Shotgun Honey. Uh, Kyla Lee Ward, Should Fire Remember the Fuel from Oz is Burning. And I'm going to tell you guys, I only read one story on that entire list, and that was uh, Malaman's from Miscreations. And that's one more than I've read. <laughs> All right. So <laughs> this was a poorly thought out idea that uh, I'm going to assume Patrick came out with. Oh, um, fuck you. It was your idea, you <laughs> bastard. <laughs> well, that's okay. Our, our extremely well-read in, um, listeners can you know, be picking on us and our... The people who are in the same boat saying, well, I don't know any of that either. They can commiserate with us. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, actually, that Mallerman story was pretty cool. It's um, it's it's a werewolf story, but kind of in the vein um, of, you know, like Mallerman tends to do. You've never really read a werewolf story quite like this one. Uh, it, it almost treats changing as an addiction to quit. Like, I can I can stop doing this anytime I want to, but maybe just one more time, just one more night. Kind of a neat uh, direction to take it in. Yeah. All right, I'm going to take us right to Superior Achievement in a, fi in a Fiction Collection. Kay Chronister, Thin Places, from Undertow Publications. Kathy Koja, Velocities, from Meerkat. John Langan, Children of the Fang and Other Genealogies, from Word Horde. Patricia Lilly, The Cuckoo Girls, from Trepidatio. Gary McMahon, Some Bruising May Occur from Journal Stone. Lee Murray, uh, Grotesque, Monster Stories, Things in the Well. Jonathan Oliver, The Language of Beasts from Black Shuck Books. Robert P. Atone, Her Infernal Name and Other Nightmares from Spooky House Press. Max D. Stanton, A, Seasons, a Season of Loathsome Miracles, Trepidatio. And Anna, Anna Taborska, Bloody Britain from Shadow Publishing. I got nothing, guys. <laughs> I'm on this one. Um, Lee Murray. Okay. Lee Murray's collection was wonderful, and that's actually what got me to look into her a little harder. You know, I, she's always been on radar, but I never read any of her stuff. And then I picked this up. Oh, God, it wasn't too long after it was released. Um, and I just kind of... My idea was just to read, you know, one here and there. And honestly, I couldn't put the damn thing down. Um, I look up, it's two in the morning, and I've already blitzed through, you know, three quarters of the book. So, yeah, it's that collection's nice. So, if you you hadn't had a chance to read Lee Murray, she's uh, from New Zealand. So, yeah, yeah. you know, it's kind of cool to, you know, get authors from other places and stuff. But she's she's got a wonderful voice. She really does. Cool. Then John, the John Langan one is another one I keep hearing good things about. I'd like to. Check yeah, that. I have. I haven't read it yet, 
Um, but Langdon's one I, I, I want to read more. I want to read mm-hmm. more. All right, so we have uh, screenplay next. Anybody want to do screenplay? Yeah, um, sure. Uh, wow, that's a lot of work. I mean, literally, do you want to do screenplay or do you want to skip screenplay? <laughs> I don't know, I've only seen one of the movies on the list. Yeah, I, I listen. I don't have the list in front of me, so I'm gonna, you know, bow to your guys's. Is there anything on there that anyone's seen or heard? There, there's something on there, but yeah. Uh, well, Patrick, I, I if you just want to name the one you saw, because I haven't seen any of these. I saw Underwater. Um, I mean, I liked it, but I didn't love it. I know some people that really love it, love the ending due to, uh, you know, the Cthulhu's at the end. Spoiler alert. Sorry. Um, You're supposed to say spoiler alert before you say it? Oh, you dickhead. No, I can't watch the movie. <laughs> doesn't ruin anything. <laughs> I feel like it does, though. <laughs> All right. Maybe I should add that out. <laughs> no, you're fine. I, I'm pretty sure that we had another episode where that came up and was mentioned. Yeah. Uh, so, without proper spoiler alert, uh, they also mention uh, the haunting of Bly Manor, which I did not watch. Uh, the Invisible Man, which I'd like to watch, but I did not. Um, I feel like that's gonna win. I mean, that was a pretty it got a pretty strong um, uh, reactions to that. Yeah. Um, now, the Haunting of Blind Manor is supposed to be awesome. I haven't watched it yet, though. Another, now, have uh, you ever read Lenigan. The Turn of the Screw? <clears throat> Ken? What's that? Have you ever read The Turn of the Screw? I have. Okay, because that was the, I believe that was the book it was, like, you know, based on. Really? Just like okay. the first one was based on The Haunting of Hill House, but no, yeah, I've, I've I, never read that. I love the, I love Henry James. That's awesome. Nice. All right, so next up, is uh, Achievement in a Poetry Collection. I'm going to go through this because I actually have read a couple on here. Um, Robert Borsky, Carpe Noctum, Weird House Press. Gail Brandeis, Many Restless Concerns, Black Lawrence Press. Cassandra Rose Clark, Sacred Summer, from Aqueduct Press. Amanda Crumb, The Day You Learn to Swim, self-published. Alessandro Manzetti, Whitechapel Rhapsody, Dark Poems, from Independent Legions Publishing. Jessica McHugh, A Complex Accident of Life, Apocrypha. Ronald J. Murray, Cries to Kill the Corpse Flower, from Bizarro Pulp Press. Cynthia Palayo, Into the Forest and All the Way Through, Burial Day Books. Christina Singh, A Collection of Dreamscapes, from Raw Dog Screaming. And Sarah Tantlinger, Cradle Land of Parasites, from Rooster Republic. And I have read Cynthia Palayo's book, as well as Christina Singh's, um, and that's a hard choice. I really enjoyed both of them, and they're both very different. Um, a collection of dreamscapes, well, you know, you can tell from the title, it's a bit more fictionalized. Um, there are, like, uh, epic poems in it and stuff that were... I, I don't think I've ever come across, like, an epic horror poem. It's usually a little bit more... Um, God, I don't even know how to describe it. Forget it. Anyways, Cynthia Palayo's book is all based on missing persons cases. So it's just it's it's a completely different monster. I think if I had to pick one, I'd probably go with Into the Forest and all the way through. It it really it sets out to hit hard and it pulls it off. Mm. Yeah, yeah, nothing on that. Yeah. <laughs> Ditto. No this, this is a, a great episode. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I do have one for the uh, when we get to the where is it? Um, superior achievement in nonfiction. I'm excited for that one. I got opinions on that. You want to skip there? <laughs> yeah, I want to skip there. <laughs> right, go ahead. Superior achievement in nonfiction. Meg Halfdahl and uh, Kelly Florence, The Science of Women in Horror, The Special Effects, Stunts, and True Stories Behind Your Favorite Fright Films by Skyhorse. Matt Glasby, The Book of Horror, The Anatomy of Fear in Film, White Line Publishing. Then we have Nicholas Heller. Oh, wait, that's their full name. Alexandra Heller Nicholas. A Thousand Women in Horror but through Bear Manor Media. Brian Keene's End of the Road through Cemetery Dance Publication. Catherine Karastman, Creepy Cats, Macabre, Travels. Did I say that wrong again? You said Macabre. I'm very proud. Awesome. Travels, Prowling Around Haunted Towers, Crumbling Castles, and Ghoulish Graveyards through Warcraft Press. Then Allison Pierce, Women Make Horror, Filmmaking Feminism, Genre, through Rutgers University Press. Then we have Courtney Stallings, Lars Ghost, Women Speak About Twin Peaks, through, uh, I'm going to mess this one up, Fottville Mafia Press. We got Tim Wagoner's Writing in the Dark Guide Dog Book slash Raw Dog Screaming Press, followed by Jeffrey Andrew Weinstock, The Monster Theory Reader through University of Minnesota Press, followed by Kevin J. Uh, Westmore, Kevin J. Jr. Westmore, The Streaming of Hill House, Essays on the Haunted Netflix Adaptation through McFarland. I'm going to go first on this. There's two that stick out from all those. Um, Tim Wagoner's Right in the Dark, uh, but I think that Brian Keene's End of the Road absolutely deserves to win. It is... How how the hell can it? First off, you got a guy that he is the voice of of his generation, He's helped with so many damn things. If it wasn't for him, I don't, I don't, I don't know where the genre would be right now. I mean, if it wasn't for him, there's a lot of blowback that he helped guide in a good way from authors not getting fucked, and there was a lot of aftermath effects. You can hear about that, I believe, in our episode with him. Um, but. I pick End of the Road because that is what this genre is about. It's everything about this genre. I don't know what else should beat that. Nothing else deserves it over that. And I have a lot of praise over Tim Wagoner's writing in the dark, but King should win this one, hands down. Yeah, and I think in any other year, Wagner would would win. Mm. But this year, with King being in there with you know, his Dance Macabre part two, I guess you'd say. It's 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 absolutely mind numbing on all the stuff that you would read in there. I mean this like you said, this is a guy that literally took a dead genre, strapped it to his back, and ran up the mountain with it. He's 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 horror's ambassador right now as far as I'm concerned. He poured his fucking heart and soul. And I'm not taking anything away from anyone else in this category. They sound like good books. I haven't read them. So you know what? Call me out on that. I'm flat out saying I haven't read any of the other ones. But, I mean, you read you read like the best of the best. That's End of the Road by Brian Keene. This, again, that's it captures everything that has been this genre since he's been in it for the last like 25 plus years. 
It's it has to be that. I'd be disappointed if it wasn't. So that's my strong. That's why I say I have opinions. It's a strong opinion. That's mine. I'm sticking to it. Uh, you know what? I I I think we all kind of share it. Um, Wagoner's book was really cool. A lot of good stuff. I'm gonna be revisiting that thing for years. But uh, Brian Keane's book. You know, I like the way you put it, Ken. You said it's you know the new the new generation's dance macabre. Um, yeah, it's really it's something people are also going to be looking at for years and it's so hard to put them up one against each other because they're both designed for different purposes but uh yeah I, I gotta go with end of the road i think and all we got left is superior achievement in short nonfiction. um i'm just you know what i got nothing <laughs> okay <laughs> actually i'm gonna kick us back because we skipped over anthology and hey one of us i, I know i read on this um so we've got miscreations god god's monsters yeah god's monstrosities and other horrors from uh doug morano and michael bailey written backwards is the publisher not it's not written backwards uh we've got the valancourt book of world horror stories volume one from valancourt uh that's edited by james d jenkins and ryan cagle um from Genevieve Flynn and Lee Murray, Black Cranes, Tales of Unquiet Women, from Omnium Gatherum Media. From Nicole Givens-Kurtz, Slay, Stories of the Vampire, from Mocha Memoirs Press. Shadows and Tall Trees 8, from Michael Kelly and Undertow Publications. Worst Laid Plans, an anthology of vacation horror, from Grindhouse, that's edited by Samantha Koyesnik. I'm going to go with Worst Slate Plans. I didn't finish. Oh, whatever. That's mine. Uh, (laughs) uh, (laughs) The Fiends in the Furrows 2, More Tales of Folk Horror, from uh, Christine Scott and David T. Neal, and then The Horror Zines Book of Ghost Stories by uh, Dean Wilde and Jeannie Rector. Are you still going to? You're doubling down on that? I'm doubling down on that. And on top of it, I was going to bring it up at the end, but... For video, uh, for audio listeners, I'm holding up the Worsley Plans paperback. Uh, they are adapting it into a film. Um, it was what the first and only ad. Well, no, that's not true. It was what the first ad of this uh, episode was covering. Uh, to know more about that, feel free to hit us up on Twitter. Yeah, I'm going Worsley Plans too. Um... Miscreations on my shelf. I just haven't read it, so that's naughty on me. Um, I don't have the other stuff, so. Mm-hmm. I did read Miscreations. I'm still going to go worse laid plans. I liked Miscreations. There's some really good stuff in there. Um, Ramsey Campbell's story, especially, was a was a standout favorite. But uh, worse laid plans had a you know a really good table of contents, and every person I was excited about seeing in there delivered. All right, perfect. So that was uh, three guys that knew very little of the content that was in it. So I hope you enjoyed it for what it was worth. I'm not sure where we go from here. Ken's up. He's trying to talk. Sorry, I thought I hit it. I said, I hope you got more out of it than what we gave, because we sure as hell didn't give much. (laughs) That's what we get for reading five books between the two of uh, us. So, again, not sure where we go from here. Um, guys, guys, it up else? And, we, and, and we say, what are you currently reading? Okay. <laughs> All right, Ken, what are you currently reading? A bunch of manuscripts? Well, yeah, a shit ton of manuscripts. Um, 
Outside the manuscripts, what am I reading? I am reading... i got to think what the hell I'm reading. Oh! Um, uh, True Crimes, Sam Klesnick. Did I pronounce that right? Klesnick. Klesnick. Sorry, Sam. Are you going to talk about it? Because I want to hear what your thoughts are. Uh, I'm not going to talk about it until I'm done. That's fair. Brendan, what are you Because right now, I don't want to... I don't want to talk about it because I'm not all the way through it, but I have a feeling I know where it's going, mm. but I don't want to mess it up. That's fair. I, I, I loved the first, I don't know, seven pages of that, ten pages of that. I, did, I feel like you just get dropped into it, and it kicks your ass. I won't ask you to elaborate, but that's that's my thoughts on the beginning. Um, no, I'll talk about it here once I'm done with it. But, yeah, so far, I'm I'm totally digging it. Nice. I am reading C.V. Hunt's Horrorama, which is just a collection of novelettes by uh, A.S. Coomer, Lucas Mangum, and Matt Harvey. And it looks like a VHS tape. Really freaking cool cover. Um, Not Tim Meyer malignant. Some are cool, but still pretty cool. Um, It's a a lot of fun. It's it's all like 50, 60-page stories that are exactly what you'd expect from Grindhouse. They're over the top. They're bloody and they're uh gross um, so it's 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 been fun and i'm about to start this one because i'm still working my way through the Redi- rewinder die series uh all you need is love and a strong electric current by Mackenzie kira one of the uh hosts of the ladies of the fright podcast how are you liking that rewinder die series i like it a lot um i, I find that most of the books are quick fun and bloody you know they they they're like 100 to 130 pages they like i said they go quick uh and some of them are really good jessica guesses cirque berserk was i would say it's you know it's it's stronger than i expected given the kind of layout of what unnerving set out to do with those books same thing with um uh benny rose the cannibal king um, same thing with uh, Lisa Quigley's Hell's Bells. They have a little bit more to say than the uh, 80s VHS horror they're shooting for. Nice. Uh, so I'm reading through the rest of uh, Jennifer Susie's Clementine's Awakening, when we have her on later this week. And I'll be starting... I don't know if you can see that. We can't. <laughs> All right, fuck it. Starting Todd Keeslin's A Life Transparent, as well as... One book for Shaw be a guest on. Uh, audio listeners, I'm holding up the cover of Christopher Pike's The Eternal Enemy. I will be on the Pike cast with uh, Becca Fettrell, Cooper Beckett, and uh, Cassie Daly later this week. So that's what I got on the burner. Um, Ken, where can people follow you? You can follow us at silvershamrockpublishing.com. We are on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. Uh, Twitter is shamrock underscore silver, and Instagram is obviously silver shamrock publishing. So um, we're all over the place. Follow, like us, tell us we're a bunch of dickheads, whatever you got to (laughs) do. And there's actually, you know what? Uh, I would like to plug one book, and that is by Mark Allen Gunnell. So this will... This episode comes out after the release of this, but you know what? Check it out on Amazon. Uh, 
It is a long title. To be when your ex wants you, you dead, they will take you to the grave with them. That's by Valhalla Books. Um, just like I said, Google Mark Allen Gunnels. That is M-A-R-K-A-L-L-A-N-G-U-N-N-E-L-L-S. It's uh, his latest book. Check it out. Hope you enjoy it. And thank you for joining us on our very first mailbag episode. Uh, we will probably not be doing the preliminary thing again because clearly <laughs> we are not the right people to uh, comment on it. We'll try better next time. <laughs> we'll try better next time if we do it. So thank you. Read the right books next year, guys. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, everybody, for uh, sticking around with us. If you have questions, we will certainly do another mailbag episode if uh, there's enough questions. Just email us at deadheadspacepodcast at gmail.com. It is spelt how it sounds. Just look at the title, podcast at gmail.com. And title that email, Mailbag Questions. Again, if we got enough of them, we will have another episode like this. Maybe no one wants that, so we won't get any questions. What do I know? Brennan, thank you for joining me, sir. Ken McKinley, thank you for joining us, sir. We appreciate your time. And everybody, again, who listened, thank you for coming and sticking around. Dead Headspace.